Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. If you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I get the privilege to preach about Jesus this morning, and he's the one we've been singing about, the one that we believe uh, changes people's lives. The series that we're in is called Love Runs Red, and last week I opened it up talking about this theme of, of red that runs through Scripture, this idea that the concept of blood is actually real, that in the Old Testament there were animal sacrifices for sins that were made, that there was bloody altars, and that the power was in the blood of those sacrifices to forgive people's sin. In the New Testament, what the Bible teaches is that Jesus died once and for all. Uh, for all of our sins, and that his blood shed on the cross has the power to save. Amen? So today, what I want to do is look at a miracle in the New Testament that has to deal with blood, but not Jesus' blood. And it's in Mark chapter 5, we find a woman who had an issue that she could not take care of on her own. Now, there's 37, 37 miracles recorded in the Gospels that are pretty similar I mean, you have like, and, and by miracles, Jesus is the one that performed the miracles. Uh, you had stories where uh, obviously he multiplied food and bread and fed thousands of people. We have the miracle where uh, he spoke and calmed a storm when there was a raging storm. Uh, we have miracles. Most of them, people were brought to Jesus and Jesus spoke the miracle over them and it happened. Uh, you may remember the, the friend that was lame and paralyzed and Jesus told him to get up and walk. Or the man who was blind and Jesus told him, your sight has been uh, restored. You're now healed. You can see. Or those who couldn't hear were then able to hear. Uh, We know stories of Jesus raising people from the dead. But this particular story in in Mark 5 is a woman who went to Jesus and didn't ask to be healed. She just took hold of him. And she was healed instantly. I want to give a little context to what's happening in Mark 5 because the context, I believe, is incredibly important and tells us a lot about who Jesus is. Um, we find that just prior to this story, Jesus was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, it's about 13 miles long, about a mile and a half wide. Uh, so it's just imagine a huge lake. Uh, it's not an ocean, even though it's called the sea. And, and Jesus is on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and on, on, on say, the eastern shore, he heals this man that was filled with demons. And he gets in a boat and he comes back to the other side and and the other side where he lands is really close to his hometown. And when he lands and gets off the boat, there's a ton of people that are gathered around because a man named Jairus had a really serious problem. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. Uh, He'd be kind of like the pastor. His job was to be at the synagogue, uh, explain the scriptures to people. And he had a daughter who was 12 who was dying. And Jairus didn't know what to do about it, but he heard about Jesus and he knew of Jesus. And so he came and was waiting for Jesus to get off this boat because he had a desperate plea. And that was, I want Jesus to come heal my daughter. And what's really interesting about this story is this is a man who was 
more religious than anybody else. He would have known the scriptures, probably had most of them memorized. Yet here he is filled with religion, but he's got a need that religion doesn't fill. And I think it's interesting because you can, you can pursue religion with your entire life, but ultimately a religion will not provide for you what only Jesus can provide. And it's a really good example for us of what to do when we get to that place, when we're at our, our wits end with religion or with tradition, or you know maybe you grew up in church, but you don't really know who Jesus is. This story is a really good example of what to do when you get in a situation and religion can't fix it. You run to Jesus. Jairus is standing there. There's all these people. Jesus gets off the boat. And here's this religious leader, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, I got a problem. My daughter, who is 12, she's dying, and I need you to come and heal her. And Jesus goes, okay. And he starts off to Jairus' house with all of his disciples that were on the boat, and we're told that there was a great crowd that followed him as well. So imagine Jesus. He's on his way to Jairus' house. It's not a long journey, right, because he's from right there in that same hometown. But as he's walking along with this huge crowd, we, we find an encounter with a woman who was not actually supposed to be there. Uh, she actually wasn't allowed to be in the crowd. She wasn't going to Jairus' house. And there's a really good chance that Jairus knew who this woman was and that she shouldn't be in this crowd to begin with. Pick it up in Mark chapter 5, verse 24. As all the people followed along, again, they were on a journey to go see this girl healed. As all the people followed along, there was a crowd around him. Verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had not gotten better. Now, in fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, and so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Now, I'm not a medical professional, professional, and I'm not a doctor. You don't have to be to understand this. And there's really no easy way to put this. This, this woman with a bleeding issue, as we know her, for 12 years, she had had or been on her menstrual cycle. And so in their culture, in the first century Jewish culture, she was deemed unclean. She was not allowed to be anywhere near the temple. She wasn't allowed to be anywhere in relationship with people. So she's single, she's alone, she's outcast, she's broke, and she is desperate in this moment. Yet here we have Jesus with Jairus going to perform a miracle and do something amazing. And I would imagine that she knew that was about to take place. Have, have you ever been in a situation where you're on the outside looking in on something amazing? I, I went to the College of Charleston, but I had several friends that went to Clemson University, which, by the way, we had Clemson, a group from Clemson's FCA serving with us this past week at Awaken. And uh, they were an amazing group that, that served the church. I feel like we just got better because we were in their presence and they're from Clemson. Uh, go Tigers, right? But they came down here on their spring break, they paid for it, and they served the city. It was really cool. One of the things they got to do was uh, go across the street to uh, what's called Turning Leaf Project. Turning Leaf Project, it's really a, it's a work release program across the street where inmates in the jail learn a trade, learn life skills. And, and they got to go across and see them because this is the company that makes all of our merchandise and t-shirts. You may not have known that. But when you get one of these shirts out here as a VIP or you buy one, 
what you've done is you've helped support an inmate as they try to get released back into society and set up success for life, which is amazing. And when I, when I think about this, this particular woman in this story, she's on the outside looking in at something awesome that's happening. I used to go up to Clemson uh, on the weekends. One of my best friends played for Clemson. Uh, and I'd go up and hope that I got either a student ticket or that I could afford tickets to go in the game. But most of the time, I would go up on the weekends in college and hang out, have the tailgate, and then the game would start inside Death Valley. And I would be, you know, 100 yards outside the stadium at this tent. Usually there was a TV, and I could hear the game taking place, but I was stuck at the tailgate because I didn't have a ticket, right? So I'd hear all the cheering and the band playing and them singing Tiger Rag, and you could tell they scored a touchdown, and I'm like, yeah, go get them. But I'm not actually in the game. Or let's, let's, let's go to something that maybe you understand a little more. Anybody like Cheesecake Factory? Great, it's a great restaurant. You've never been, you've been deprived. But uh, every time you go to Cheesecake Factory, there's a wait. So they give you a little buzzer and they're like, hey, you know, you got to stay in the restaurant for this to actually work. And so I take the buzzer, Ashley goes shopping, and, and I'm just waiting right there in the foyer of the restaurant. But you can see all the tables. And so I'll just be standing there with the buzzer, just watching people eat. You know, they're hitting that like pasta or bang, bang shrimp, you know, meal. And I'm just watching like, and every now and then they'll look and catch me. And I'm like, look away, you know, because you don't want to be embarrassed. But everybody's doing it. Everybody's watching the people eating, but you're not actually eating yourself. You're, you're on the outside looking at something amazing, actually frustrated. Like, why well, I need to be sitting there right now, you know? Well, this lady in this story, she's in that place, right? Like she's. For 12 years, she's heard about God, and, and there's a good chance that for the first part of her life, she went to church, and she got to learn the scriptures, and she got to be engaged in this community called the people of God, but then she developed an issue that actually made her an outsider, and, and now she hears about this man who calls himself the son of God, the Messiah, going to heal somebody. And she thinks to herself, well, that's great. And I'm, I'm thankful that's going to happen for Jairus' daughter. But I need something too. And I found it's really hard to celebrate God doing something in somebody else's life when you have your own needs. Right? When, when you're broken or you're desperate, it's like, hey, I, I need what that person's about to get. I actually need Jesus to pay attention to me. And so in this moment, this woman who's like incredibly desperate, she makes a decision to do something that's unheard of, right? Because desperate people do desperate things. And I would go so far to say is desperate people often uh, exhibit desperate faith. They, they respond to God in a way that maybe normal people don't. That's why uh, you may could grow up your whole life and be in church, but then one day you get a medical diagnosis. The tests come back with a result you weren't expecting. It'll drive you to your knees in prayer. Your faith will start to look different. Or you can get in a marriage, and it's been smooth sailing for a couple years, but then you hit something, there's an obstacle, broken relationship. You start to pray and cry out to God in a different way, right? You've heard of the rock bottom or your breaking point. You know, most people, when they've hit a desperate place, their faith begins to change. And that's exactly where this lady is. Look what she does in verse 27. She heard about Jesus. So she came up behind Jesus through the crowd and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, then I will be healed. Verse 29, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body 
that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Now, Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, well, look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of Jesus and told him what she had done. There's a couple things I believe we can learn from this story about Jesus that should impact the way we view him, that should impact the way we live in our relationship with him and what it means and why it should matter to people outside of these walls. And if you're taking notes, this would be a really good, really good place to start. Because the first thing that this passage or this story tells me about Jesus is that he's a hope like no other. He's a hope like no other. Because y'all, people put their hope in a lot of different things. Wouldn't you agree? Like this woman, we're told that she obviously worked a job in some capacity. She had a way to, to make income. Because for years, she had put her hope in doctors. She had paid for their services, hoping that somehow they could heal her of her condition. And we don't know how much she paid, but we know at this point she's broke. We know she exhausted her resources, putting her hopes in a doctor. And I think about how powerful an emotion hope is. We sing songs like, you keep hope alive. Jesus, you are alive. He's the hope of the world. You take hope away from somebody, they got nothing. I think about education, the fact that we get to partner with an organization called Charleston Hope. What are we talking about? The fact that we want to see education, we want to see equality and equity in this organization, this nonprofit. Why? Because we want to give hope to kids that otherwise have no hope. It's why we partner and get behind it. I think about sports, right? Anybody make a March Madness bracket? Yeah? You watch the tournament at all? Isn't it amazing what hope can do? You can take a 15 seed playing a two seed. They're supposed to lose by 60 points to Ohio State. I'm coming at you, Ohio State. But you got a team full of hope that goes, we can do this. We can beat them. And guess what? They beat them. 14.7 million brackets submitted online. Zero are perfect today. I love that. Some of y'all are like, oh, I got hope in my bracket. God help me out. Listen, you shouldn't be gambling. That's on you, right? <laughs> but 14.7 million. And it's like, look, I look at all these underdog teams and I'm like, man, it's hope. It's inspiration. It's believing when no one else believes that you can. But man, you start to diminish someone or a team or a group of people or the church of hope. Man, you lose your life. You start to get depleted. This woman had exhausted her efforts. And most people, this is what I've discovered, most people would not have stood a chance in this situation because everything that had led to her being hurt or abandoned or ostracized, she had to face those very things to get the healing that she needed. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't let whatever hurts you keep you from the only thing that will heal you. Because church, a lot of times people look at church and they go, I can't walk through those doors because there's a church in my past that hurt me. I can't get close to people in community because I can't trust anybody because I trusted somebody at some point and they broke my trust. So you never let anybody in again. 
And so you put all these walls up around you and the very thing that can break the walls down and bring healing to you, you're letting your hurting stand in the way of it. This woman had a crowd of people that were gathered and Jesus is in the middle. He's leading the way. She could have gone, you know what? I, I'm not allowed to be near people. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm forbidden to be in a crowd because if I'm unclean and I touch any of them, then they become unclean. Like in first century Israel, if you had leprosy, you had a skin disease and you showed up in front of people, you had to tell them, hey, I'm a leper. And they would back up and go, yeah, we don't want anything to do with that. This woman with the bleeding issue, they just knew because her clothes were stained. She stayed in her house. She couldn't go to the grocery store, had to stay away from the market, couldn't go to church. But yet in this instance, she gets to a place where she says, I don't care about all that stuff anymore. Because I'm desperate and I believe I have hope in that man because I believe that man can heal me. So whatever I got to do to get to him, I'm going to do it. Y'all, when, when I think about Sunday church or our small groups, when somebody walks in that's never been here before or hadn't been here in a long time, what they're ultimately saying is I don't care about all the obstacles to get to the one that I need to get to. I need to encounter Jesus. That's why we got to do everything we can to remove all those walls or stigmas to let them in here. You follow me? This woman just busts through the crowd. She grabs hold of Jesus as he walks by. And I love his response. Right? Because in this moment, Jesus is on mission to go heal this girl who's 12, Jairus' daughter. So he's got an assignment. His, his job, and he's already told his disciples, they've heard the ask, we're going to Jairus' house. I'm going to heal this little girl. But in this moment, his, his robe gets grabbed and he stops. So just imagine a, a mob of people pushing Jesus forward. He just throws on brakes. And he's like, who did it? Who touched me? And you can imagine Jairus, right? Jairus is like, hey, let, let's, let's, let's go. Like, I'm, my daughter's dying. In fact, the the account in Matthew of this story, we're told that she had already died. So Jairus is like, Jesus, hang on. It it doesn't matter who touched you. We got something to do. He asked the disciples and the disciples look at him and go, don't you see everybody? How in the world can you even ask who touched you? Let's just keep this thing moving, right? We got a plan. We got an agenda. We have an appointment on a calendar. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I got to deal with this. Y'all, the second thing we can learn about Jesus is he's not in a hurry. Jesus is not in a hurry. He is so counter to how we live. Like we live in such a fast world, right? Think about fast food. Fast food, we get mad if fast food is slow. That's why you can pull into McDonald's and be sitting in line looking at Chick-fil-A and just going, you know, there's no question. Absolutely, God's got his hand of favor on that restaurant. Look at, <laughs> look at the people moving through the line. They're moving so fast, you know? McDonald's, listen, McDonald's, you gotta pull in, speaking to a, a speaker, you know? I right, that combo number nine, you know? Supersize, Diet Coke. It's like, can you say that again? I didn't get your... And you look across at Chick-fil-A, and they're not in the restaurant. No, 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 no. They don't have one lane but two. And they're standing out there with iPads, with an umbrella, in the rain, taking your order, taking your payment, and people are just moving through there at a rapid race. And you go, my goodness, I I missed out today. I need to be a part of that. It's fast, it's fast, it's fast. We get mad if it's slow, right? 
It's Starbucks. Oh, no. Long gone of the days parking and walking in to place your order. You got to get on the Starbucks app. And they better have remembered what I ordered last time, right, Emily? They better know my order. I just hit order again. And guess what? When I get there, I walk in and it's just sitting there. I've stood in line at Starbucks and I've watched people walk in and grab their coffee and I get mad at them. I'm like, y'all are smarter than me. It's, it's fast. Everything's fast paced. I think about our, our, our world and how quick everything is. It's so efficient and it moves. So we, we don't take time for anybody. Like, let me ask you about your calendar real quick. Because this, this affects people who are leading at a high level. You're in business, you're a teacher, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a mom. Like, and you, you got stuff planned out all throughout the day. You got a 9 to 10 slot. You got a 10.30 to 11.15 slot. You got a 12.30 to 2 slot. Everything's filled up. What happens when there's an interruption to your day? Is there space? Because I found that God and the Holy Spirit in my life rarely works in those blocks that I've reserved. It's in the interruptions of life. But if you don't have time for the interruptions, then, then you'll miss what God's trying to do. Right? Because because you got an agenda, you got a plan, you're on your way to something, right? And, and, and God forbid that we interrupt the plan for a greater purpose that he might have. See, when I look at Jesus' life, y'all, he, he took time for people. Like, I think one of the most intriguing things about Jesus, he was sent on a mission from heaven. Hey, go redeem humanity from their sins. You got 33 years to do it, okay? There's a lot of work to be done. But look at where we find Jesus. The first miracle that he, that he actually does is at a wedding. Y'all, weddings took a week. You go, wait a minute, Jesus, let me calculate it out. 33 years times 52 weeks a year. You're going to give an entire week just to hang out at a wedding? Eat a bunch of meals, have a bunch of conversations, chill with everybody? That's what Jesus did. I think about John chapter 4 when Jesus is on his way and he has to pass through Samaria. And he stops at a well. There's a woman at a well. He has a conversation with her. He doesn't have to. In fact, by law, he shouldn't have. But Jesus has a conversation with this woman. And at the end of the conversation, he decides, yeah, I'll go to your village and I'll share with everybody in your village about the, the story of salvation and the good news of why I've come. And almost the entire village gets saved. Jesus took a detour on his mission to go hang out in this village. It wasn't part of the plan. I think about Jesus uh, teaching. One day he's teaching the adults and the religious leaders. And this kid crawls up on his lap. And they're like, no, keep the kids away. We got important things to talk about. Jesus says, no, 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 let the kids come on. And unless you develop faith like this child, you'll never see heaven. Right? It's, it's amazing. Jesus made time for people. And he didn't have a hierarchy of importance. That's the other thing. Like, I want us to understand that, that Jairus was the most important man in the city. Like, he ruled the synagogue. He was... By all, by all accounts, he was seen as blessed and highly favored by God. He was successful. He knew the scriptures. He was as clean as clean gets. On the other hand, we have this woman who had no relationships, no job, wasn't allowed in church, seen as unclean as you can possibly get. And Jesus goes, you know what? I'm going to stop on the way to Jairus' house and acknowledge what just happened. I love that because when I think about Jesus and the love that he gives us, it's unconditional. That means it's not based on what you've done or who you are. It's based on who he is and what he's done. Very different than the world that we live in. 
And you go, well, what's the purest and most effective way to love somebody? T-I-M-E. And when we look at Jesus, he gave time to people, despite what they brought to the table. See, some of you might be sitting here today or listening online, and you would say, I don't know that Jesus can love me because of blank. This story is a great example that his love for you is not based on anything that you've done or on who you are. That's some of the best news you'll ever hear in your life. Jesus wasn't in a hurry. He took time. And and I would imagine this woman in this moment was thinking, okay, I've got this issue, but if I bring it to Jesus, it's going to interrupt what his plan is, right? And I think about how oftentimes we may think the same thing. We may pray something. And maybe this is just me. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's been times where I've prayed for things and in the back of my mind, like Satan will remind me, hey, you're praying for God to come through financially for you this month. You know, global poverty is an issue. And I'm like, yeah, my prayer request isn't that big a deal. Or, hey, you're, Brandon, you're, you're praying for, you know, relationships to improve, like with, your wife or with your kids. You're trying to be a better dad. Like you're praying that, but hey, you know what? There's people out there that don't even have a dad. And, and what happens is I, my, my, my prayers or my requests or my issues get small. And if I'm not careful, I start to believe, you know what? God's got a priority list of prayers and mine's way on the bottom. Y'all, you know, y'all know that Jesus doesn't work that way. Like I think, Sometimes we can, we can get into a place where we think our issues, what it is that we're dealing with, is really nothing more than just an interruption put before the Lord, right? You go, well, I'm, I'm trying to build a business and I'm trying to increase clientele and you wanna pray about it, but you go, I can't really pray about that because I know people that are struggling with something else, right? And, and we start to go, well, God doesn't wanna hear my prayer request. There's bigger issues. Listen, this woman had a bad issue, right? She's outcast because of her condition, but there's a girl dying, That's Jairus' daughter. And what I want us to see and what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't have to pick and choose which one he's going to answer. Like he's walking through the crowd, right? And all of a sudden, boom, he he feels power going out from him. I don't know what that was like, right? I don't know, Jesus is walking along and he's like, hmm. You know, and what I love is Jesus wasn't in that moment like, okay, you just took the power I needed for this other miracle. You know, like that, he didn't work that way. Jesus didn't like the light bulb that goes out. You just run out of power, you know? He stops in this moment and he acknowledges this woman and what just happened. He didn't have to. You realize he didn't have, he could have kept on walking or he could have seen her and been like, there you go. That, that's what you needed, you know? Because he knew, he asked who it is, but he already knew who it was. He knows everything. When we say that God's omniscient, that Jesus is omniscient, that means he's all-knowing. That's a theological word. He's all-knowing. So when Jesus says, who touched me, it was not a question like, oh, I don't know who that was. Let me, let me figure this thing out. It wasn't. The question is for her. Because I think, listen, he could have walked by, she could have grabbed his robe, she could have been healed, and she could have gone home. But when he stops and says, who did it? This is an opportunity for her to actually speak up so that he gets glory for what just happened. So here's the truth of the matter. God's done a tremendous work in somebody's life, but you've never given him credit for it. 
Oh, you prayed about it. You might have prayed about it in the silence of your, your home or in your car. You were desperate enough to ask for him to bring healing or bring restoration or bring you back into a place where you found community. But you've never spoken up and given him glory for what he's done. See, it's possible for this woman to have received physical healing, but in this moment where she has an opportunity to speak up of what God's done, she could have just gone, you know what? I'm going to take mine and I'm going to head on home. But there's this moment where, where if this doesn't happen, if she doesn't speak up and acknowledge that it was her, then she misses the other half of the miracle. She's physically healed, but ultimately what she needs is to be spiritually healed, brought into the family of God. That's ultimately what everybody's looking for, to be fully forgiven and fully accepted into the family of God. Here's what happens. Uh, He turns and says, who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, by the word, that word there, fear in the Greek is where we get our word phobia. She's trembling, right? Anybody scared of stuff? Y'all scared of spiders? Scared of heights? You're like, I just can't do it. That's what she's feeling right now. She's, She's trembling And she comes and falls on her knees in front of Jesus and tells him what she has done. Get the scene real quick. Thousands of people. Jesus is on a mission. She interrupts it, stops it. He acknowledges who was it. And she she steps forward. And in this moment of nothing, you can't describe it as any other way except worship. She falls on her knees and she acknowledges to Jesus, it was me. Like I, I touched your robe. The people watching, right? They knew that she was the one that was outcast. She was the one that shouldn't be there. She was the one that couldn't go to church. Like they know who this woman is because they've been taught their whole life to, to stay away from her. Yet she's on her knees in front of Jesus. And what's beautiful about this in this moment is it's the truest picture of worship you can imagine. Because there's thousands of people there in the presence of Jesus, but they're not acknowledging him the same way because they didn't have the same experience. Let me take it a step further. If I can take liberty in this church real quick to say this. You can be in a crowd of people acknowledging Jesus, but miss him completely. Means you can come to church and you can hear the songs. You can stand and and watch people sing. But not engage. Oh, I was there. I was at church today. You can be in church and not worship. See, worship is when you get to the place where you go, I'm going to give praise to Jesus and acknowledge him. And I don't care what people around me think. I don't care what they say. Hey, who's that crazy person down front with his hand raised dancing around? Oh, that's Tevin. He loves Jesus. Yeah, that's weird. I'm going to stand here with my hands in my pocket. You get it done, Tevin. Listen. There was people on the shores of the Sea of Galilee this day that saw a woman get after it and press into faith and receive from Jesus what only he could provide. And there was a whole lot of people that missed it. Why? They were waiting for him to do something for somebody else, but they didn't believe he could do it for them. Y'all, when we come to church, when we gather like this, I'm not saying it's all about how you express yourself in worship, but it is getting to the place where you go, I don't care what my wife thinks. I don't care what my kids think. I don't care what that guy behind me thinks. I don't care what my boss who happens to be in the same church with me thinks. I'm here for Jesus. And I'm gonna get whatever I gotta do to worship him wholeheartedly, full of affection, full of energy. Why? Because he, what he has done for me. This woman falls on her knees and says, I did it. I touched your robe and I've been healed. There were two people that day before this moment that knew that she'd been healed and delivered. Jesus and her, that's it. But in this moment of worship, 
She gives glory for what he has done. And then everybody hears the story of how she was healed. Y'all, this is the truest picture of baptism and what we do while we celebrate baptisms publicly. Maybe you're here and, and you've given your life to Jesus. At some point, you've prayed, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe in Jesus and you're saved. You know what? Baptism is not a pre, prerequisite to get into heaven. You realize that, right? The thief on the cross who acknowledged Jesus as Lord, he's in heaven. He was not baptized. But here's what baptism is. Baptism is an opportunity for you to have a moment like this moment had, like this woman had in the story, where you stand before a group of people and you declare, this is what God's done in my life. This is who I was. This is how he's changed me. This is who I am now. And that's exactly what this woman does in a crowd of people. She says, I'm the one that touched your robe. Jesus responds. Look at what he says to her, because this is beautiful in verse 34. Jesus says back to her, daughter, daughter, let me just stop right there for a second. Because for 12 years, she had no friends, no family, no church, no community. And Jesus looks at her in this moment and calls her the closest family affectionate name you can call somebody. Listen, I love my sons and they're in this service, but can I talk about my daughters for a minute? (laughs) You know, ain't nothing like Brinkley in Brooklyn gets anything they want. Seriously. If I left church today, daddy, can we go to the candy store and eat lunch? Absolutely. What kind of candy you want, you know? I I love the fact that Jesus looks at, at this woman In all her desperation, in her fear, she's trembling, right? Because who dare you, the outcast, unclean woman? How dare you step in line in front of Jairus and grab the miracle that was intended for his daughter? How dare you cut in line? You entitled? And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace for your suffering is over. Fourth thing we can learn about Jesus, and I think the the greatest thing, is that Jesus is forming a family. He's forming a family. When you move from death to life, when you've been forgiven of your sins, when you've been brought into relationship with Jesus, the ultimate healing takes place because he provides a family like no other. And you don't have to do anything to get in. You don't have to like apologize to anybody. He doesn't go like, hey, why did you do that two years ago? Or hey, let's walk through your history of addiction with that. Or what's the deal with your drunkenness? Or what about your divorce? Or what about your depression or your anxiety or your addiction? He doesn't ask about your issues. He just immediately changes your identity and says, hey, daughter, son. I think about one of the disciples who had to be standing there that day. His name was John. And in John 1.12, this is what we find. To all who received Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. To all who receive Jesus. That means you can be here today with all your issues, with all your stuff, with whatever label society puts on you. I mean, this woman, we're 2,000 years later. You know what she's known as? The woman with the bleeding issue. Not Mary, not Sally, not Jane. She's known by her issue. But Jesus doesn't call her by issue, he calls her daughter. In an instant, in an instant, she moves from the the fringes of society to being part of the family of God. Man, can I just invite you today to embrace that truth 
Because you can, you can step into church and say you're part of the family, but still drag all your issues in and people know you by that. But when we come to this table, when we come into this family, all that stuff's gone. And what she needed more than anything else, Jesus provided because when he calls her daughter in this moment, guess what she was able to do the next week? She was at the synagogue. She was at the temple. She was going to church, y'all. Because when the son of God declares you to be family, then you immediately step into his community called the people of God. That's the beautiful thing about church, the beautiful thing about the gospel. I just wonder if there's anybody in the house today that's thankful to be a part of the family of God. Thankful that he saved you, amen. That he changed you, that you no longer are known by what you used to do or who you used to be, but that he looks you as who you are, as sons and daughters of the most high God. That's the family we're a part of. And that's the family he's forming and that we get to invite people into. Amen.